Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, 7 to 14 will be our verses this morning. And last time we noted in Paul's opening greeting, we found and established the relationship between the sovereign will of God and the free will of man. He used himself as a test case, citing that he was an apostle by the will of God. This was God's sovereign choice of choosing Paul, even like he has chosen us while we were yet sinners. He did the same with Paul. Amen. Amen. He then began to address the issue of free will when he spoke to the recipients of the letter and identified them as saints and then qualified them as those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And this is divine sovereignty paired with human responsibility as we talked about last week. We also made note of what are called positional truths and define them as things that are eternally true because we are in him. If you remember, we mentioned last week, in him is a frequented phrase in our uh, book that we're studying and we'll find in our chapter and verses this morning as well. Now, we also noted that we are positionally in Christ. But being faithful is another matter. Being faithful to Christ is something that we can do or not do, and it is of our own free will. And we ought to be faithful to Him. Amen. And our position in Him is unchanging. However, Paul would write to young Timothy, if we are faithless, 2 Timothy 2.13, he remains faithful. Why? Can't deny himself. That is what he is. It's not what he does. It's what he is. He is faithful to us even when we're faithless. Now, Paul's mention of being faithless isn't in relation to saving faith. You can't be born again again and again and again and again. Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about the exercising of our faith. And Jesus addressed this same subject by implication multiple times, asking his disciples, why are you of such little faith? That didn't mean that they weren't believers in him anymore. It meant they had doubts and fears and struggles just like us. And in Matthew 6, 28 through 30, Jesus addressed the whole of the subject where he talked about why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of what? Little faith. Jesus asked the disciples, why are you of such little faith when the wind arose on the Sea of Galilee and the boat was filling with water? Jesus asked Peter, why were you of such little faith when Peter was the one of the twelve that got out of the boat, walked on the water, changed his focus to the waves instead of the one who could control them, and began to sink. And the Lord said, Why are you of such little faith? Jesus asked the twelve why they were of such little faith when they forgot to bring bread. And Jesus said, Don't you remember what happened when we fed the 5,000 with the meager supply that was at hand? And each of these instances are related to very practical life situations that require the exercising of faith, which is an act of our free will. Now, last time we drew three conclusions that are the results positionally of our 
being in him and practical application was found in them as well. We were told all who seek him, all who in him, all who are, I can't read this morning. (laughs) All who are in him will seek to be like him. We don't need to ask for what we already have. And once we are in him, no one can take us from him. And listen, because we are in him, we were told last week, we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So we don't need to ask for what we already have. We need to use what we already have. And the exercising of our faith increases our ability to walk by faith. And therefore, when we need faith, when we, like the disciples, have a lapse of faith or doubt begins to creep in, we know that we can come to him because once we're in him, no one can take us from him. We're always going to be in Christ. And Paul's letter and thoughts now move from the past and our election to the present and our redemption. From God's past choice to the present act that brought us into his kingdom and he'll also address the future that awaits us now that we have been reconciled to God. Now that brings us to our title this morning and as is often true, I've borrowed it from a common saying that we've all said and heard and because we are in him, we can see ourselves as, and here's our title, signed, sealed, and delivered. delivered. Signed, sealed, and delivered is our title. I want you to remember he signed our names in his book of life in his blood. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit and the promise that it uh, carries with it in that sealing, which includes being delivered from the wrath to come. And listen, you need to be ready to give people an answer for the hope, the reason that there is hope in you, because every time things heat up in the Middle East, people start to wonder, is this it? Well, listen, one of these times, it's going to be it. One of these times, things are not going to slow down. They're going to keep progressing forward. And obviously, we see that Jerusalem is becoming more and more of a burdensome stone to all nations. And there's going to be a man who rises to power, who solves the Middle East crisis. But I have good news this morning. We're going to be gone before he can rise to power. And perhaps that will even happen today. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Now, Colossians reminds us in 2, 8 to 10, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to whom? Christ. For in him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are, what's the next word? Complete. Complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Now the word fullness and the word complete come from the same Greek word. This was actually our word in 2010, our word for the year. And the Greek word was pleru. And it is translated also as fulfill. And that's how we looked at it in 2010. And this tells us that the fullness of Christ is fulfilled and overflowing in us. The word pleru actually means to fill to the full. And in Christ, we are all filled up. Amen? Amen. We are complete in him. We are completely signed in his book of life. We are completely sealed with his Holy Spirit. And we are going to be completely delivered from the wrath that is to come. So let's see how that plays out in our everyday lives this morning from our verses from this magnificent epistle, 7 to 14 of Ephesians 1. So would you stand and read those verses with me, please? Ephesians 1, 7 through 
14. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And Lord, we give you glory this morning. We honor you, Lord, and your word through our time together and our focus on you. We pray you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. We pray, Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray most, Lord, for the Prince of Peace to save those who dwell in Jerusalem and Israel as a whole. We pray you would save the Palestinians too, God. We thank you that you're unwilling that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So, Lord, teach us how to be more effective in that which you have made us into in Christ this morning through our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, it may not be automatic for us to pray for the Palestinians, but we ought to be praying for their souls, right? Amen. We ought to be praying that God save them and they come to Christ. Now, listen this morning. Paul tells us that in Christ, in him we have redemption, and he adds to that, we have an inheritance. We'll talk a little more about an inheritance in a moment. Now, these are ours after we heard the word of truth, which is the everlasting gospel, and believed it. Now, for some today, it's as though that's the whole of the message of the Bible. You simply believe and receive, and then you'll see the Lord when you get to heaven, and there's nothing else for you to do or for him to do in and through you until that time. Now, it is true that redemption and forgiveness are positional. They are eternal. They are unchanging. But we also note we have to trust in him in order for them to be fulfilled in us. Now we can see this in verses 7 through 10 through the fact that he made the riches of his grace abound in us through all wisdom and prudence. Now wisdom in this context means spiritual wisdom or in a word discernment. The word prudence means moral insight and the fact that these are mentioned as a part of the salvation package, tell us we were without them before we got saved. We had a different moral standard before we got saved, right? Yeah. Didn't things change in your life after you said yes to the invitation of Christ? Yeah, yeah. Didn't your view on things begin to change as you studied and gleaned more truth from his word? It's true for all of us. And James also tells us in one five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, this affirms for us that there is more to the Christian life than a profession of faith. There's also a moral transformation and an ongoing need for spiritual wisdom or 
discernment, and we have been given these things through a relationship with Christ and trusting in him and believing his word. Now, our redemption and forgiveness are written in blood. They are positional. They are eternally secure. Wisdom and prudence is made known to us as we discover the mystery of his will. Now, we've all heard and said God moves in mysterious ways. He does things past finding out, right? Some things he does, some things he allows, some things he even causes that don't make any sense. But yet God is always God. Amen? Amen. And his will is mysterious to us at times. Yet we can know things that are hidden from the rest of the world by the study of his word and the spirit within us that gives us the understanding of his written truths. Now, since we know his will is made known through his word, we can understand the meaning of the statement of the dispensation of the fullness of times. He's going to gather all things together in heaven and on earth in Christ. And this simply means exactly what Paul would write to the church in Colossa as well. In Colossians 1, 15 to 18, we're reminded he, Jesus, is the image, the Greek term is icon, the physical manifestation of the invisible God. One of his titles is the firstborn of the authority over all creation. Remember, the firstborn is the son who has charge of all the father's goods. For by him, all things were created. Him again being Jesus. Jesus is creator. Amen. Amen. Uh, some people say Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, the Bible says he's God because God in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. Amen. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers or the spirit realm included. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, meaning he is above them all. And in him all things consist or are held together, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, we have redemption and forgiveness through his blood. Someday all things are going to be gathered together under the authority of the firstborn from the dead, who is also the creator of all things. Now, between now when we've been redeemed and forgiven, and then when all things are brought under his complete and total authority and rule, there's a rebellion going on right now. I don't know if you've noticed it. <laughs> we, because of our relationship with him, have been given discernment and moral insight. In other words, we have an understanding that is supernatural of what is right and wrong according to God's will. Now, here's our first takeaway this morning as a point of application from this opening section of 7 to 10. Listen, common truth, you all know it to be true, and that's a lot of what we do together here. We talk about things we already know and sometimes forget. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Listen, the more we know and do His will, the better our lives will be. Yep. It's just that simple. The more we know and do His will, the better our lives will be. Now, I didn't say that our lives would be problem-free. I didn't say they'd be pain-free. I say they'd be better even when we have problems and are experiencing pain. And Paul presents to us really the progression of all things, all of God's creation, including the heavens and the earth and everything in them, that someday they're going to be together in him. Now, Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 35, 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I think today's a good day for that, at least our part of it, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now, we know no one knows the day or the hour. We're not going to speed it up. We're just hastening toward it. We're moving toward it. We're pushing forward as though it's actually going to happen because it is. Now, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his what? Promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth. Now, get this. In which what? Righteousness dwells. Now, things are moving in that direction. Can anything stop it? Is this going to happen, what Paul wrote of here? And what Peter records as well, is there going to be a new heaven? Is there going to be a new earth? Is it going to be a place in which righteousness exclusively dwells? Well, if that's the direction it's moving in, shouldn't we be moving in that direction too? Shouldn't we be living like that now since everything is headed that way? And since the new heaven and the new earth are a replacement for what is and in them righteousness will dwell, doesn't that tell us to get going in that direction because that's the direction the Lord is going? Is the new heaven and the new earth better? What single phrase is used to describe it? In which righteousness dwells. Meaning everyone and everything in the new heavens and the new earth is going to be made righteous. And in Psalm 143.10, King David says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of what? Uprightness. Now, David knew a little about trials. He knew a little about betrayal. He knew a little about unfair treatment. And he knew a lot about personal failure. So what's he praying to the Lord for? Lead me in the land of what? Uprightness. I want to live in this land uprightly before you. And listen, if David, the man after God's own heart, wanted to know and be taught God's will, shouldn't we? Isn't it therefore going to make our lives better? We established this a couple of months ago. I'll remind you again. God's smarter than we are. Every day. All day. And in all decisions. Amen? Now, isn't this what we've been told to pray for, what Paul says here? Haven't we been told to pray in the model prayer by Jesus, Thy kingdom come, thy will be where? On earth as it is in heaven. Now listen, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which is someday going to be the practice of all who are in heaven and the new earth, the new ones that is. Now, that tells us that the more we know and do as well, the better our lives are going to be. Now, listen, we're not trying to earn our salvation. We're not trying to keep what is positionally and eternally ours. He made known to us the mystery of his will so we can live our lives to the fullest. And we'll explain that a little more in verses 11 and 12. Look at those two verses again. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to 
the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of what? His glory. Now, because of our position in him, we have obtained an inheritance as those predestined according to his purposes and will. Now, the word inheritance can mean allotment or portion. It can mean to pass on to another a possession. But it can also mean and be translated as a heritage. Now, I like that for our morning uh, together because of this reason. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which speaks against you in judgment you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from who? From me, says the Lord. Now, I wanted to quote this verse for two reasons. One, it establishes that those who receive positional righteousness from the Lord also receive other things. And B, that was a joke. Come on, one and B. Come on, try and keep up this one, would you? Now, it also tells us those things aren't just in the future. They are here and now. We have received things because we have an imputed righteousness that we can put into practice now. And what Paul means by we who first trusted is a matter of debate. Some see this as the to the Jew first thing of Romans 1.16. And then when he says you also trusted in verse 13, some see him changing the subject matter to being the Gentiles. Others say we is simply inclusive of all believers. You is specific to the recipients of the letter. And because Paul mentions nothing about the Jew-Gentile relationship until chapter 2, it seems likely that the latter understanding is the proper. Paul is addressing collective believers and then the recipients of the letter. After all, it's one gospel that saves the Jew and it's one gospel that saves the Gentile. There is no such thing at least in the Bible, as dual covenant theology, like is often taught today. The Jews need Jesus. Amen. After all, he is the king of the Gentiles. Well, he is. That's just not a biblical title, right? He's the king of kings and lord of lords, but he's called the king of the Jews. They need Jesus too, just ask Nicodemus uh, after his conversation. Now, we find the word inheritance used again in verse 14, and we need to note that it has the same root, but it's a different word. And it means property received. So that tells us this about the inheritance. It tells us, one, we have a spiritual inheritance in Christ. And then it also tells us we have a physical inheritance awaiting us. The spiritual inheritance we already have. The physical inheritance is going to require a change instantaneously in the moment in the twinkling of an eye into immortal immortality or incorruptibility, immortal, incor immortal immortality. How's that for double speak? It's the Department of Redundancy Department. But we are going to be immortally incorruptible, amen? Now, we have that physical location awaiting us, and God's going to create a new one for us to dwell in, a new heavens and a new earth. Now, we talked about the fact that in him is mentioned time and again in the Ephesian letter, but we also note that in Christ or in Christ Jesus, Paul used in his, all of his letters some 169 times. And it's not completely exclusive to Paul, but it is used exhaustively by Paul, and it's not found in any writings prior 
to Paul. So obviously other authors picked it up from Paul. And that tells us that Paul was fascinated with the position of being in Christ and how it practically applied to his life. That's why he would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, even so, next two words, in Christ all shall be made alive. In 2.13 of Colossians, he would say, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, speaking of Jesus, has made alive with him, having forgiven you all what? Trespasses, Trespasses violations of God's will and word. Now, these verses point us back to what we talked about last week and walking in the newness of life as new creations in Christ. We were once dead in sin. We are now alive and forgiven by Christ with our blood, his blood, paying the penalty for our sins. Now, this brings us to the point as those signed, sealed, and delivered in Christ. And we're going to talk a little more about what we introduced last week. Really, we could have called this in him part two, but signed, sealed, and delivered seemed to work too. Now, our second observation is just this. Good works and doing God's will are how we bring him glory. Good works and doing God's will are how we bring him glory. And I wish we could drive this point home to those who have a problem. And I mentioned last week that I would get mail, and I did. <laughs> but listen, when you meet Christ, he changes you. And he puts you to work for his kingdom and glory. And listen, you, you can't bring him glory if you're not his. Now, God obviously can initiate glorifying himself through pagan nations, and he has in time past. But you, as an individual, bring him glory by doing good works and doing God's will. Now, where are we going to find out what his will is? In studying his word. And listen again, we're not trying to earn our salvation by good works. Amen? Amen. Salvation is not of good works. It's the free gift of God. We're not trying to keep our salvation through good works. But we do have works prepared beforehand for us to walk in for the purpose of bringing God glory. And it's the same thing Paul would write to the Romans in the famed verses of 1 and 2 of chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he defines what that looks like as holy, set apart from your former self, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says and translates this as, do not be conformed to what? To this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, remember, perfect means complete. God's will has already been completed. It's already been made known all that we need to know. Amen? Now, we can give him glory through our praise, to be sure. We can give him glory through times of worship, as we attempted to do so this morning, right? But let me ask you something. Do we ever sing songs that we don't even really know what the actual words are? I mean, we've all got phrases from songs that you couldn't understand on the radio, so you just made something up and sang along with it, because <laughs> it was the same tune, right? Well, it's possible to do that here, too. It's possible to maybe know and mouth the words, but not understand what it means or even agree with what it says. 
But Hebrews 13, 20 to 21 reminds us that the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to what? Do his will. Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory forever and ever. Somebody say now listen, good works are part of doing God's will, and doing God's will brings him glory. It's not that we're trying to earn anything. We're trying to glorify God. That's why we're here. Otherwise, I mean, think about it. Life is hard, right? Yeah. Awful things happen during life. Struggles happen during life. Pain comes our way during life. Why would the Lord leave us here on this giant dirt clod in such a painful and struggling situation if he didn't have something for us to do? Why not just save us and take us home instantaneously? Why would he leave us here? Because he saves us and then forgets about us? No. He's an integral part of our everyday life and he wants to bring glory through us. That's why he said, I have, after I give you the gift of salvation, by faith, because of my grace, I have things prepared beforehand for you to walk in. I have things for you to do because he wants to receive glory from us. If you guys go to breakfast or where are you? (laughs) He wants to receive glory from us. Now, one more thing before we move on. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. I couldn't help but kind of laugh at this opening phrase. This is Jesus speaking. How'd you like to be standing there with Jesus? And he says, but what do you think? Then he says, a man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and what? Went. Went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, I surely, I say to you, that the tax collectors and harlots Enter the kingdom of God before you. Boy, that ought to give them the warm fuzzies. <laughs> this is Jesus' uh, favorite group to address the hypocrites, the scribes, and Pharisees. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, John the Baptist, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Now, what does that have to do with our Time today? Nothing. I just wanted to throw it in. I thought. <laughs> now, it has everything to do with it because we have become far too feelings-oriented. We are far too feelings-oriented. Some would go as far to think that God would never ask you to do anything you wouldn't want to do. Is that true? No. God asks us to do things that we wouldn't want to do all the time. Do you need an example? Go tell that person you were wrong. How many say, oh, okay. That's not something we want to do, right? We don't want to go and apologize. We don't want to go and say we were wrong. Our flesh revolts against that. God asks us to do things we don't want to do all the time. Others think, well, if you don't want to do it, then you shouldn't because it wouldn't be done with a right heart. Which of the two sons did the will of the father? The one that said no. And then did what he was supposed to do, right? Well, let me add this. The one that said no, do you know why he said no? And again, this is a parable, but because we're humans, most of us, right? Because we're humans, I think we can get into the first sunset a little bit. You know why he said no? He didn't want to. 
He didn't want to go work in the vineyard. He wanted to go goof off, right? I mean, he's a son. He wants to do things that are more pleasurable and satisfying to him. So you know which one did the will of the Father? The one who did what he didn't want to do. Because God, who is obviously the picture in this parable, told him to do so. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, which results in what? Glorifying the Father who is in your Father who is in heaven. Listen, sometimes good works are hard. Sometimes they're inconvenient. Sometimes they take you 12,000 miles away to the other side of the globe and the other hemisphere to live for eight and a half years with your three kids so God can use you to raise up a church. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody back there? <laughs> and it's hard. But it's for God's glory. And God's will is not always convenient. Sometimes it's costly. Sometimes doing it goes unnoticed. But we do them for the praise of God's glory, not our own benefit. We do them so others can see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Now, look at 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the, what's the next word? Guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Twice we've seen that phrase. Now, back to last week's message again for just a moment and the issue of eternal security, or as some like to call it, once saved, always saved. I, <clears throat> it kind of baffles me. I've had people get very angry at me for saying this, for saying that I believe that when God saves us, we can't lose our salvation. And uh, that's not something that I particularly would find to be aggravating. I would find that to be comforting, wouldn't you? Yeah. Now, we establish that predestination is based on God's foreknowledge. Though those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. We also established the destination of predestination is conformity into the image of Christ. That's what the Bible says. Now, we also noted that it is possible to think you're saved and not be. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, never knew you, depart from me. But foreknowledge again comes into play because we have to understand God foreknew who would say no to his offer of salvation, so he didn't choose them. And the choice to save only those in Christ was made before the foundations of the world. Whoever is in Christ, they are new creations. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. I'm sorry, did you not hear me? Amen. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Amen. Now, I don't believe you can live like hell and expect to go to heaven. That's inconsistent with being a new creation and walking in newness of life and no longer being a slave to your flesh is what the Bible teaches. But listen, the final nail in the coffin of those who believe you can lose your salvation is here. Paul says, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you trusted in him. And through that trust and the object of it in him, you were sealed. And that word means to be stamped or marked for preservation. After you trusted in him, believed upon the word of truth that you heard, you were stamped or marked for preservation by the presence of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't seal those who aren't his. 
nor does he seal those who would later walk away from him, answering that age-old debate as well. And we know that because of John the Beloved in 1 John 2, 18 to 19, where he says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. Remember, instead of or in place of Christ is what Antichrist means, or instead of uh, replacing him with a false deity, by which we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were what? Not, Not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or be revealed that, what's the next phrase? None of them, None of them were of us. Now, since those who trusted are sealed or marked for preservation, we would have to find the doctrine of unsealing in Scripture for losing your salvation to be doctrinally possible, and we do not. Now, Paul says this sealing, however, guarantees our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, which is, again, to the praise of his glory. So, what is the purchased possession? In 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, we're told to flee sexual immorality. Remember when that used to be true? <laughs> it's still true? Yeah. Absolutely. Every sin, say every sin. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of who? The Holy Spirit, who is where? In you whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, next word, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen, when we are in Christ, our spirit has been redeemed. And the redemption that Paul talks about here is future, and it's in regards to our physical bodies, which is the purchased possession that he has in view here. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, we're told not to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have died or fallen asleep, the first century church would use, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. In other words, this is what the Bible teaches. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I wonder if he's going to say, wake up! <laughs> with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise when? First. First, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always, aren't you thankful for the word always? Amen. Always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with what? These with these words. Now, Paul would say, in Philippians 3, 20 to 21, that our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, here's the destination of predestination, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able uh, even to subdue all things to himself. Listen, our names were signed into the book of life by the blood of Jesus. 
we've been sealed for a future inheritance by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be delivered from God's wrath and these lowly bodies when we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air with the dead in Christ to forever be conformed to his glorious body. Now listen, as the sign sealed and soon to be delivered, we come now to our last point, And let me just warn you, it is designed to have a little bit of shock value. But listen to it all the way through and then we'll explain it. Are you ready? Yes. Here we go. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will soon be in heaven. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will soon be in heaven. Now, we could say if you have the Holy Spirit, you're someday going to be in heaven, but everybody already knows that, right? Someday we're going to be in heaven. We just read that. We all know that. But what we often forget is this. In Psalm 39, 4 to 5, David said, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths, and my age is nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best is but what? Vapor. James 1.14 tells us life is a vapor. It is here today and gone tomorrow. David compares the span of our life with a hand breath or the width of your hand in relation to the eternality of God. Now, the point we need to draw from our point is what Paul told the Romans. In Romans 8, 18 to 25, he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this, what? Present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. This is the new heavens, new earth in which righteousness dwells seen. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. And Paul clarifies what the adoption is. The redemption of what? Our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with Perseverance. Perseverance is that uh, Greek word, hupomone, cheerful endurance. Now, I'm excited about going to heaven. Yeah. In the group plan. Yes. Just like you, right? But here's what Paul is saying. Here's what David is pointing out. Compared to the eternal God, our days are like a vapor. Isn't that true? Compared to the eternal God, our days are like a vapor. And for those who have the Holy Spirit, by comparison to God's eternal nature, we're going to be where he is really soon. And 70 years would be really soon in comparison to God being forever. 90 years would be really soon. 100 years would be really soon. And here's the point. The afflictions that come our way need to be viewed against that backdrop. 
against the backdrop of how long we're going to be there in comparison to how long we're going to be here. And by that, we can eagerly wait for the redemption of our bodies, even as our souls and spirits are already redeemed. We are already in him. We are already his. But we're going to get a serious upgrade someday, right? One that can just, well, we, I don't think we're even going to be sleeping. I was going to say, one that can just hop out of bed without getting hurt. I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? Or that can get up speedily like we, like we used to when we were young and not have to slowly get out of bed to make sure everything's working. Listen, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to eternity in a city whose streets are paved with gold whose gates are of single giant pearls, whose foundations are not concrete footings, but made of precious stones. And in Revelation 21, 22 to 27, John the Beloved says this of that city that will be our eternal home, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are what? Saved. Saved shall walk in its light. This is why in righteousness dwells is a key phrase for us. And the kings of the earth who are saved, obviously is implied, bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, life is hard. Eternity is long. And in eternity, for the saved, everything that made life hard will have passed away. And only those written in the Lamb's Book of Life are going to be there. And the great thing about that is anybody can have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life because you don't have to write it yourself. Jesus will write it there with his own blood. He will sign your name into that Book of Life. And nobody can erase it. Now Jesus said, you know, he won't blot your name out of his book of life and people often look at that as a threat that's not a threat that's a promise he will not blot your name out of his book when he writes it in the book with his own blood so listen as hard and painful as life can be with all of its tribulations and struggles we need to compare it to where we're going and to how long we're going to be there how do we know it's for sure you have the holy spirit is the Holy Spirit in you? If you do, it is a guarantee that you have property awaiting you, that you have inherited, and it's a city whose builder and maker is God. Somebody say amen. amen. And Father, we thank you that again we are signed, sealed, and delivered all by your glorious work. We thank you, Lord, that you have sealed us for this future inheritance, but you've marked us as yours. And God, we can be identified as yours by others through the good works that we do for your glory. So Lord, I pray that in our minds, the wrestling would end and the service would begin. 
that we would simply see doing the right thing, whether we want to or have time to or desire to or not, is best for us because it glorifies you. So we thank you, Lord, for this incredible epistle, even though we're only 14 verses in. Thank you for the things we have learned. And Lord, teach us how uh, to live in a manner that would cause others to inquire, why are we facing such difficult times with such enormous hope? Help us, Lord, to have that cheerful endurance that you've blessed us with and given us access to, even as we make our way through these muddled and difficult times. We thank you, Lord, for your matchless word. We give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.